بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ So following Tawheed and Risalat, the very first thing imparted to our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam dealt was with Wudu and Salah. It is related in Ibn Ishaq, Al-Bidaya Abu Nu'im in his Dela'i Al-Nubu'ah, Al-Isab, Volume 4, page 281, that at the outset, Jibreel Alayhi Salatu Wasallam stamped his heel on the ground that caused a spring to gush forth. Jibreel والسلام, then performed wudu with this water, whilst our beloved Messenger وسلم, continued observing his actions. After Jibreel وسلم, he وسلم, also performed wudu accordingly. Thereafter, Jibreel وسلم, performed two rakats of salat with him, وسلم, keeping abreast by following, following him throughout. So let's look at this. So, wudu, the first wudu was done with miraculous water. So this shows that it's a very dear deed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So obviously you have Zamzam. Zamzam was in Makkah. But the report clearly indicates that Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam, just like those thousands of years earlier, with Ismail, alayhi salatu wasalam, and he struck the floor and Zamzam came out. But this time, some other water emerged. So you could argue it may have been Zamzam because it's in Makkah. But it doesn't mention that. With that special water, Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam performed wudu. So look how interesting that is. And after the Prophet observed him, sallallahu alayhi salam, he also then performed wudu. So Jibreel was the one who was teaching the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam. And the Prophet was uh, emulating. So now a person might query this. And the query is Rasulullah is greater. So how can somebody who is subordinate teach somebody who is superior? So the response is, this can happen. And the Quran mentions that Khidr taught Musa Musa is a Rasul, one of the great five. Khidr is a Prophet. So again, this there's no problem here. Then Jibreel offered two rakats and Rasulullah followed him. Following this, our beloved Messenger returned home and imparted this ritual to Sayyidah Khatija. In one report, Khatija herself asked, Teach me how he, alayhi salatu wasalam, taught you, 
she performed wudu and offered salat alongside him and said, I testify that you truly are the Messenger of Allah. So this is recorded by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Al-Isaba, volume 4, page 274. He states, this is the most correct narration I came across concerning her Islam. So Ibn Hajar was very happy with this, this hadith. This is a very sound report. So look how beautiful. Rasulullah emulated Jibreel and the very first person who had the honor of doing the wudu after Rasulullah was Khadija. So think about that. That's one of her first. She was the first person, first believer to perform wudu. Not only that, she was the first person to offer salah with Rasulullah. So a person realizes this is an honor. But how great an honor is that? The Prophet وسلم, he said in Tabarani that if you pray behind the righteous person, it's like you have offered salat behind the Prophet. If you offer salat behind the righteous person, it is like you've offered salat behind the Prophet. So this is an authentic hadith in Tabarani. So that's a righteous person. So what about the Imam of the Salihun? You pray behind him. The Imam of the Muttaqin. You pray behind him. The Imam of the Mursali. So how much reward she receives? Only Allah Ta'ala knows. So she was the first. She performed wudu and we mentioned the virtues of wudu as well. Similarly, and the other thing which is important to highlight, this salah was not an obligatory prayer. The Salat became obligatory in the 10th year. Now why is that fascinating? Because Khatija Radiyallanha left the mortal world before the Salat became obligatory. So this is maybe one reason why Allah gave her that honor. Because she never lived until the obligatory place. The second thing which is fascinating is who were the ones who were honored to pray behind Rasulullah with the first obligatory prayer. So the Lord is. So who would you say? All the prophets. MashaAllah. All the prophets. So when Rasulullah went on the Isra from Makkah to Jerusalem on the blessed Burak, all of the prophets prayed behind him. Every one of them. So what does that tell you about the Salah? Right? So the Salah is so beloved that Allah is making the best of the best initially offered the prayer. And then of course, the Prophet went into the heavens, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then he got the obligatory place. So a question is posed here. What was that prayer? Where he led all the Prophets. So it wasn't the obligatory prayer. The obligatory prayer was given when he went on the Mihraj. So here note, the Prophets prayed behind him. But what's amazing, is they weren't the first to pray behind us. Now think about that. It was Khatija. So when you say who was the first to pray behind Rasulullah, your mind straight away goes the prophets. And the answer is, your intention is good, but you've made a mistake. Because who prayed before the prophets behind Rasulullah? He was his noble wife, Sayyidah Khatija. So this is again the honor given to her. In another report, Zayd ibn al-Haritha, he relates that our beloved messenger said, during the initial stages of my prophethood and revelation, 
Jibreel appeared before me, alayhi salatu wasalam, and he tutored me about salat and wudu. This is in Ibn Majah, Ahmad Darukutni, Hakim, Sahih, and others. So he made it explicit, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam. He goes, Jibreel was the one who physically showed me what to do, how to perform the wudu, how to offer the salah. Now what's interesting about these reports, um, uh, the Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he wasn't happy with this. So when the person related this report, he goes, be careful what you relate. <laughs> so then the Tabi'een said, I heard it from, and he mentioned the change. So why did Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar bin Abdul Aziz say that? Because of that logic, the logic being, how could somebody subordinate lead the Prophet and teach him? Sallallahu alayhi wa so note again, we shouldn't have these doubts. Jibreel was sent, and this is an honor for Jibreel as well, alayhi salatu It is further related. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu continued to pray secretly for some time. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabaqat, volume 1, page 10, and Al-Bidayah. So look how interesting. It wasn't a one-off. It wasn't a farad prayer, but they were regularly praying. So what was these prayers? So again, your guess is as good as mine. You know, what was those prayers? Obviously, it was an optional prayer. Or possibly, Tahajjid may have been fuddled for the Prophet at the time. So Allah, Allah knows best. Whatever the case, Khatija loved to pray with him. But it was secret. <coughs> so like I mentioned, because she never lived until the obligatory prayers. In continuation, as mentioned, Salat was initially offered in secrecy. But this was not to be the case for long. So this narration. So Sayyidina Afif Kindi, he once came to Makkah for some business and he stayed in the dwelling of Abbas. So there was a person called Afif who later became a Sahaba. And he came and he was doing business and the host was Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet. So he relates. One morning, I looked at the Kaaba and I saw a young man who came and stood facing the Kaaba. Thereupon a young boy came and stood on his right side. Thereupon a woman came who stood to worship behind Rasulullah. So I asked Abbas, what's going on? <laughs> so what's, what's Afif seen? He's seen Salah. So it's strange, you know, he sees a youngster next to a man and he sees a woman behind, you know, separate. So he asked Abbas, what's going on? So Abbas said, he is my nephew, Muhammad. The boy is my nephew, Ali. And the noble woman is Khadija, my nephew's wife. Then Abbas looked at Afif and he said, my nephew thinks that his religion is the religion of the Lord of all the worlds. Whatever he does, he does with his subhanahu wa ta'ala consent. As far as I know, I think that these three are the only noble batch who believe in the new religion. Later, Afif would say, oh, how I wish I had believed then. And I would thus become the second I male in Islam to embrace. <laughs> so let's look at it. So where is this recorded? 
So this is recorded in Bukhari in his Tariq al-Kabir, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Tabarani, Abu Ya'la in his Musnad, Hakim in his Mustadrak states Sahih into the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim, Zahabi Sahih, Behaki in his Dalai al-Nubu'a, 2-1623, Al-Bidaya ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 10, Al-Istiyab, Tabari in his Tariq ibn Ishaq, page 137, stated Hassan, Al-Haytami in Majma al-Zawai, 9-103 states, Imam Ahmad's chain is reliable. So the hadith is authentic. So, a few interesting things you can mention here. So, Abbas was he Muslim? So he's he did such an amazing role. He was a double agent, you know, a secret agent for the Prophet and he did his role so well that even the scholars don't know when he embraced Islam. So some ulama say that he's not a Muslim here. Others say he was, but he's applying that, you know, that you know that mission given to him by the Prophet. Whatever the case, look at his words. When he was asked, Who is that? So you could see that he was very proud. He goes, He is my nephew, i.e. the Prophet, he is my nephew Ali, and this is my nephew's wife. Now look what he says. My nephew thinks that his religion is the religion of the Lord of all the worlds. Whatever he now does, he does with his consent. And then he says, as far as I know, I think that these three are the only noble batch who believe in the new religion. So you look at the words, even the words, you think, is he is a double agent? Is he, is he hiding his iman or is he not a Muslim? Whatever the case, subhanAllah. Then look at Afif. Later he embraced Islam, many years later. And he remembered that and he grieved. Because, oh, how I wish if I had only embraced Islam then, I would have been the second male. And he meant by that the second adult male. Because Ali was obviously a child at the time and Khadija being a female. So, not those who had the opportunity but missed it, they grieved. Why? Because this is a tremendous honor if you had embraced Islam early. So now a question is posed here, what about Abu Bakr? Mm-hmm. And the response is, he wasn't blank. Mm-hmm. Right? So obviously, you know, Afif is only talking about who, what he saw. And of course, Abbas's statement was a proof of that. Mm-hmm. So it seems that this was the initial open sign to the unbelievers of the glorious deed, which was to go public very soon. So this is what's interesting. Why did Rasulullah go public? Mm-hmm. They were offering Salah publicly. That's the first thing. Had Islam gone public? No. Islam became public in the third year. So what was this? So this was maybe a preparation for the unbelievers to indicate, look, something's happening. Second, why was Ali praying behind the Prophet So Ali would proudly say, I was the first male to offer Salat behind Rasulullah. And he's absolutely correct, the great Ali. Why? Because Khadija offered prayer first. The next day, I believe on Tuesday, he offered prayer behind Rasulullah. How were they lined up for Salat? So if there is a child and there's a woman and there's an imam, the child, if he's a male, stands to the right of the imam. The female stands at the back, always. All of this is before the commands came. 
So what's, what's interesting is like already they know the Shariat. Also, why was Khadija praying? Wasn't it dangerous? Mm. So again, notice it was her look for the Prophet Sallallahu She wanted always to be behind him because if you go public, I'm going public. <laughs> the other thing which is very informative, she was covered. The Jahaliyyah, in the time of Jahaliyyah, women weren't covered. That's why he asked, who is that woman? And Abbas had to say. So even in the Jahaliyyah, Sayyidah Khadija was keeping her modesty covered. <laughs> So note again, if you look at all these things, fascinating, right? And all of that is showing that she was honored above others. She was the first to do wudu from this ummah. And she was the first to offer salat with Rasulullah. And she was also honored to pray with him, with the nephew of the, uh, the cousin of the Prophet, along the Kaaba, before Islam went public. So the next section entitled, An Invaluable Aid in the Initial Da'wah. A righteous wife has the potential of having a tremendously positive impact on the success of da'wah. And we have no better example than attest to this than the life of our beloved mother Sayyida Khatija radiyallahu and the way she stood side by side with Rasulullah from the very beginning. Thus, whenever a da'i is blessed with a righteous wife, he is one step closer to achieving success in his dealing with others. Our beloved messenger, he put it simply like this, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The world is mata, and the best mata of the world is a righteous wife. This is in Sayyid Muslim, in the chapter on nursing, number 1467. So what does mata mean? Mata means something temporary, from which you get benefit. <laughs> so you can call a handkerchief, you know, a disposable handkerchief, you can call that mata. Mm. You blow your nose, you put it in the bin. Allah Ta'ala calls the world mata. <laughs> Think about that. People are in love with the world. Is that madness? Mm. Do you see a person in love with disposable uh, handkerchiefs? <laughs> Toilet rolls. He goes, what are you talking about, right? He goes, well, you're all in love with the world, so, you know, what's going on? This madness. The world is a temporary, meaning take the benefit from it. But what's the best matter of the world? The Prophet told you. A righteous wife. Look at the value of a woman in Islam. It's not money. It's not your contacts. It's not your friends. It's a righteous wife. The Prophet said, now what's important to highlight? Righteous. People always narrate the hadith. Half of your deen is getting married. And that's true. <laughs> but getting married to who? <laughs> right? When you ask that question, the guy is you know, bewildered. He goes, obviously, uh, you know, a woman. Hey, which woman? <laughs> a righteous woman. <laughs> if you marry a, you know, I don't want to use rude words. That's not going to help you. That's going to destroy you. <laughs> a woman makes or breaks you. So when you say half of your deen is marriage and the other is taqwa, correct? But the half of your deen is a righteous wife. Not any old woman. A married a revert, right? Mashallah, but what's her status in terms of is she, what's going on? And you find that she reverts back to Christianity. What happens? Mashallah, innit? Ibn Ishaq, rahmatullah, he described Khadija like this. She is the vizir 
of truthfulness. She is the vizier of truthfulness. Vizier means the right hand person. So who was the right hand person of truthfulness? Ibn Ishaq said Khadija. Hafiz Suhaili he said Sayyida Khadija was known as the pure one At-Tahira before and after Islam. This is in Al-Rawd Al-Unuf. And also Hafiz At-Tayyimi in his seerah he said she was called the mistress of the women of the Quraysh. She is the Sayyid of the women of the Quraysh. So think about this. This is all before Islam. So why do you think Allah Ta'ala gave her to the Prophet? <laughs> Allah Ta'ala was helping the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, people say, oh, mashallah, you know, beautiful love marriage. And you say, what are you doing romantic novels, brother, right? This marriage was arranged by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And he goes, How you have to go through it. He said, look, Allah Ta'ala gave her. And I'm going to mention the proof of that, but I mention it briefly. In Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah Ta'ala put the love of Khadija into my heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the love of Khadija in my heart. Meaning this was, you know, deliberate. Allah Ta'ala wanted this woman to be with. But who was going to be the right hand woman of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He had to be something, somebody immense. And who was it? Sayyidah Khadija. So Lord, this is showing her status. You know, it's not just coincidence she's the first wife and she had all the children from the Prophet You look at what she did and then you realize Allah had gifted her to the Prophet And that's why you make dua. What does Allah say in Surah Al-Furqan? رَبَّنَا حَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا ذُرِّيَاتِنَا قُرَّةُ عَيُنْ وَجْعَنَّا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Oh my Lord. Bless. How do you translate that? Give me righteous children and then women and a righteous wife and make me an imam of the people of Taqwa. Mm. Right? So you're asking, have you met that dua? People go, oh yeah, I'm doing mashwara. <laughs> Allah has given you a dua. And what does it say in that dua? Make me an imam of the people of Taqwa. وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama. That's the clue to who the wife is. How can you be an imam of the people of the God-fearing when your wife's off her head? Right? So again, note, this is very important because shaitan puts doubts into people's hearts. How many times have you heard people say, I was solid before I got married. And when I got married, I went downhill. And doesn't the Prophet say that half your deen is marriage? So what is he really saying? What he's saying is the Prophet has made a mistake. Astaghfirullah. And the response is, no, you made a mistake. You just married just any old woman. Look for the righteous. And of course, same vice versa. You know, a woman gets married to a righteous husband. Then he helps her. Otherwise, he's got problems. Subhanallah. So all I mentioned today was another great honor or honors given to our beloved mother that she was the first to offer wudu and salah with Rasulullah after Rasulullah or with Rasulullah and I mentioned a bit about the history there and then I mentioned that she was a divine gift given to Rasulullah and why that was was to help the Prophet subhanallah are there any questions you like to ask 